I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the Fourth Trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth Trimester Care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Hi, this is Sarah Trott. Welcome back to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Esther Gallagher, and our special guest, Lisa Chin. Lisa is a mama to a happy two-year-old girl. Motherhood has profoundly changed who she is and how she sees the world and definitely the mark that she wants to leave. Uh, She seeks to live an inspired life of mothering, writing, and pursuing what she calls to be creative. Uh, When she's not wrangling spreadsheets or her toddler, she can be found writing her blog, Lisa for Real, which is lisaforreal.com. And that is where she shares her thoughts with her audience on femininity, Uh, Eureka Moments, and Lessons in Self-Awareness. Her latest project is the Fourth Trimester Summit, and that's actually how we know Lisa. Um, She reached out to us um, because our podcast is Fourth Trimester Podcast. And although the names are namesakes, her summit and our podcast are not officially related, although we support her 100% and what she's doing. Um, She is interviewing over 40 experts in women in health and infant development and mental health and uh, helping share the knowledge with many, many new moms and dads and families out there. So um, thank you for helping us create an ideal postpartum experience for all of those people. And welcome to our program, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. Lisa, what inspired you to create the Fourth Trimester Summit? Um, So I've been on kind of this self-development, self-identity journey uh, since early 2015. And so this is kind of a very a uh, roundabout way of share. Well, this is my story, I guess. It's it's not as direct as, oh, I had this idea and I wanted to do it. Um, but I've been trying to understand like who I am and what I want to do in this world. And I've always had, you know, I have a background in business and entrepreneur. And I've always, since going to college, um, I've been wanting to start a business and got into, you know, health coaching and holistic health and wellness and and just have been dabbling in different things. And so th- this year, um, at my job, I actually run the wellness group there and we had a wellness week. And so I, during that time, I had a source, you know, kind of like a eureka moment, um, and wanted to create a business around workplace wellness. And I thought, well, what's a great way of starting it? Like maybe I can seed it with some money from a summit and I can also make some contacts in the industry and it'd be really great. And, this is a, like the great way to get started. So I mapped out my idea. I, you know, basically had a whole lineup of wish list speakers ready to go. And I bought a course on how to create a summit. And mm-hmm. yeah, and so I was fully invested in this idea. And then as I, during this time, I kind of, I think I came to the realization that I wanted to live an inspired life. And I, and I kind of took a step back and I said, well, is this project in line with that? Is this project something that inspires me? And would I do this project if I didn't make a single dime from it? And so once I asked myself that question and once I realized that it was a huge negative answer, I knew that I couldn't carry on with a summit on 
workplace wellness. And so I took a step back and I said, okay, well, I've spent money on this course and I, you know, I, maybe I can recoup the money, but at the very least I need to run a summit because I've purchased this course already. So (laughs) what do I do now? What topic do I talk about? What am I, if I didn't make a single dime off of this project, because I know how much work I've heard about how much work it takes, what would I, you know, what would I focus on? And immediately went to mothers and immediately then once I made, realized it was about moms, it immediately went to the postpartum period. And because I'm, you know, my personalities, I like to get the source of the issue. So I, you know, with like business and strategy, with my background in strategy, I really try to get to the core of problems and then find a solution for them. And I feel that with issues in the world today, so much of it stems from just who we are as people and what we what was what's lacking in our development and and it, and then the source of our development is pregnancy and postpartum so it just really like i i really honed in on that period um and so that's part of the reason and another part of the reason is i personally had a very different fourth trimester than basically anyone else I know. And so I thought, well, I have a very particular view of like what's helpful during that time. And I think that more people should know about it because then moms will be, you know, starting off their motherhood on the right foot. They'll be starting off healthier and more confidently. Um, And I, you know, I do a ton of research. So during the past two years, I've, you know, I've learned about various ways of disciplining and various ways of parenting and, different things around health and wellness. And so all of that kind of came together. And I thought, you know, I really need to share this information. And this would be a really great platform for me to do it. And it's a topic I'm so passionate about. So it kind of made a lot of sense. And so that's the really long story of how I came to this idea. I love it. I, I love the um, the entire way that you came about it and, and what you're doing. I mean, you've gathered together, I think, something like 40 speakers for your your summit. Yeah, 43 speakers, and then 44, including myself. (laughs) Well, one person we have on the list is, of course, Esther Gallagher. And I know, Esther, what you covered, it looks like um, we've got advocating for yourself after birth. So I think there's a lot of cool stuff we can talk about there. But um, Lisa, could you tell us what your postpartum experience was like? Sure. So I'm Chinese. I was born in the U.S., but my family's from China. And so there is this idea of confinement or the sitting in period in Chinese culture. And that means that for 30 days, you basically don't do anything. The mom doesn't do anything aside from literally sitting. Like They call it the lying in period. You're lying down the whole time and you're taking care of, you know, breastfeeding the baby. But everything else around you is taken care of by other people. You know, laundry, cooking, chores, uh, taking care of other children, possibly. Um, all that stuff is – the mom – does nothing aside from just eat, sleep, and breastfeed, and then, you know, go to the bathroom. (laughs) But that's really about it. And so I didn't really grow up with this idea, but I knew about it from my mom. And I, as I have grown interested in holistic health and wellness, I knew that that was something I wanted to incorporate into my postpartum because the thinking in Chinese culture is that, you know, the way that you treat yourself those first 30 days is really important because it will bring you back to a level of health. And it's, and 
um, someone, Valerie Lynn kind of says it during her session where she says, you know, it's almost like surgery. You know, you have major surgery and you have this very ideal, optimal healing time, healing period, and it's immediately after surgery. You're not going to heal the same way a month later than you are the couple weeks directly after. And it's the same with pregnancy and, and giving birth. You are not going to, if you rested and focused on your health and and well-being during those first 30 days, it's not the same as if I were now two years postpartum going to focus on healing myself postpartum for 30 days. Hmm. And so it's, so that's the thinking that you heal yourself and then you kind of set yourself up for success as you go along, you know, taking care of everyone and kind of depleting yourself in many ways. But also, um, and my mom says this, I don't know how much, I mean, I kind of believe it, but she says, you know, a lot of ailments as you get older, like arthritis or backaches or headaches can be linked to how well you are taken care of during your postpartum period, during those specifically those first 30 days. Mm-hmm. And so that I, I believe that it kind of took it to heart. And so I knew that I wanted to do something like that for my postpartum period. So the way that I announced my pregnancy to my mom was, oh, you need to take the month of May off because I'm having a baby. <laughs> so you need to come back here and take care of me. <laughs> Great. And, yeah. And so I and did she? <laughs> she did, yeah. Oh, yeah. she was totally on board. Um, you know, she was working, she she was taking care of an elder elderly woman at that point, but they were Chinese, so they kind of understood, you know, the whole mm-hmm. deal. And so during my postpartum period, you know, I had I had my daughter, I came home, it was May. So it wasn't super cold outside, but there's you know, you're basically you're not doing anything. So I didn't go outside unless I had to go out for appointments. I didn't bathe for 30 days because there's a whole idea of like you don't want to introduce cold elements to your body and so when you when you take a bath you're you may be taking a warm bath but then afterwards you are getting cold and so there's the element of like coldness and wind so like if you were you know washing your hair and you were blow drying it that's a wind element so you mm-hmm. I didn't do that I ate a lot of healing heating foods a lot of ginger uh, a lot of like ginger soups and and like ginger in my chicken, so a lot of protein, a lot of bone broths. Um, and that was really, I think that was really it. <laughs> I didn't really do that much else. But it was really just relaxing and, you know, and spending time with my, with my mom, I think, which was healing in, it, in its own ways. And being able to be taken care of because, you know, after she left, after, you know, she, she stayed for an extra week, but after she left, it was just me and my daughter. So, you know, I, I think a lot of people in the U.S. live that way, right? We're in very nuclear families. And so mom is often with baby alone and it's like hard to, you know, go to the bathroom, much less like cook a whole meal and take care of the whole household. Um, I can't even imagine it, you know, those first couple of weeks postpartum. And then if you have a C-section on top of it, it's just madness that we expect women to do that. Mm. Yeah, I, uh, my Tai Chi teacher, who's uh, a gay man <laughs> from Thailand, says to me, said to me, oh, of course, you know, 40 days for 40 years, meaning, you know, how, how you'll, your, your health and, and vitality 40 years later will be affected by your health during that postpartum period, how well you're cared for. So even gay men know <laughs> <laughs> that you, uh, you need 
special treatment, special care, special food, special circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like such a luxury, I mm. think, as a concept, right? This idea that someone else is making sure your kitchen and your bathroom is clean. Uh, someone is feeding you. Someone is helping you take care of your baby, maybe teaching you how to breastfeed or teaching you how to do certain things, like change the baby, anything, you name mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. um, helping lay the baby down or hold the baby while you're going to the bathroom. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. um, like, And also just someone who's there to kind of be a listener mm -hmm. and be an yeah. emotional support. Like all those things together wrapped into one is – such an, an amazing um, and almost like necessary <laughs> thing for women. But like, it sounds like on the face of it, like, I don't know, to me, it sounds like luxurious mm -hmm. because yeah. it's so rare that women have that support. And I, I want to say that it's uh, because we've, we have been kind of trained to think that way in the, in the West because mm -hmm. if you look at, you know, Eastern cultures or a lot of traditional cultures, like in South America or Southeast Asia, that's an expectation. It's integrated, like that Thai, your Tai Chi teacher. It's mm -hmm. integrated into the culture so much that men respect it. And they know that it's important for women to have that time period. Because mm -hmm. they know what it means to, that when a woman isn't taken care of and the repercussions of that. But in our society, and I'm going to like go on a little rant here, but in our society, we don't have that. We're expected to jump back into work. We're expected for our children to adjust quicker, quickly, which is, mm -hmm. you know, really unrealistic for a baby that really should be in utero for, you know, three additional months. And mm -hmm. we've been basically in our culture just we created our own expectations of what that period should be like. But I would say that that luxury is because we've, it, that's not normal in our culture. Hmm. Well, I think, you know, when you're primarily a capitalist society and everybody has to earn a living, <laughs> you know, uh, based on money, then those who are going to actually acquire the money at the top are going to send messages about how you comport yourself and how much time you get to have. So this isn't anything new to capitalist cultures, but we are sort of the pinnacle example. And so um, it has devolved down, you know, and, and, it, and if those of us who are putatively middle class can make this, um, this comparison imagine what it's like for poor women in this culture you know who not only may not have family around but you know the amount of money they're going to actually bring home is both critical and insufficient right it's not going to nurture nurture them or nourish them so, yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> I go on these rants myself on a daily basis, Lisa. So, you know, you know already that I'm right there with you. Yeah. Um, Does this sort of lead into that concept of the super mom that you've talked about? The super mom is, it's a little bit of that. I mean, the, I, I don't even know where the term, I mean, the term's out there, right? But yeah. personally, I don't know when I started adopting that term. I created a Facebook group called the Supermom Village. And that was two years ago. It was way before the summit even was a, an idea or anything. The, but I, I don't know. I kind of got tired of 
moms, you, you know, the, these expectations that are placed on us and, and how unrealistic they are and how harming they are to women. And I, and I thought, you know, everyone's a super mom. You know, every single woman who, whatever they're doing, they're doing the best they can with the knowledge and resources that they have. And there is no one who is not amazing, no matter, you know, no matter if you are living in a mansion or if you are, you know, taking care of a baby in a foster, you know, if you had to give your baby for foster care or something like that, that doesn't matter. It, you know, we are all doing the best we can and we need to recognize that. And I, I hadn't, you know, I, I have very specific views of, you know, what is good and what is not, what's not good and what parenting practices are good and what aren't. But at the same time, I don't believe that I have the right to judge another mom on her choices. And so as much as I have very specific views and I have put them forward in the summit by contacting people that I align with, it doesn't mean that I want to shame or blame other other parents because they are making their, their choices based on the information and the resources that they have. And so I created that community online to really kind of foster that type of philosophy. Mm. And it was very unintentional. It was very much like, oh, we have a, I have a group. If you want to join it, let's, you know, let's just hang out. And it ended up being, you know, the, a lot of the people in the beginning were like high school and college friends who weren't really friends before, but I would consider them mm -hmm. now friends um, because we've kind of come together and we are very accepting of practices and we don't, there's no finger pointing. There's no, oh, I wouldn't do it this way. It is complete empathy and sympathy and understanding of what the parent is going through and helping as much as you can. Um, and so, you know, it's different. It's, it's very, you know, kind of like a generic group in a sense, because it's not like, oh, we're attachment parenting or we're natural parenting or we're any other kind of parenting. It's really like we are all moms and we're all pretty awesome. And we're all coming together to support each other. And so that's the type of community I think is we need to foster more physically in our, in our world. But, um, but that I create, you know, that's what I created online and I integrated the, that philosophy into my summit because it is something I feel very strongly about. So while I am sharing these points of views and these speakers who have their specific points of views and their practices, I do overarchingly believe that we need to adopt more of a accepting, you know, attitude towards other moms. And so in my workbook for the summit, you know, I put in my manifesto, which includes a lot of, a lot of it's about respect and empathy for other moms and for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Love it. Lisa, I don't know if you remember, but my daughter was born when I was 18. Mm -hmm. I was pregnant during high school and uh, the end of high school and, you know, all of my f college prep friends <laughs> went off to college and that was it for me. Like those friendships disappeared and I turned myself in a very, very, very different direction uh, initially, of course. And, um, and you know, this is 37 years ago, I had to endure comments for the rest of my life by people who might not know. I mean, it's many's the time when a client will say, 
or or a care provider, a healthcare provider will make a comment about teenage moms or something of that nature. And I have to say, well, actually, <laughs> I'm one of those moms you're talking about, you know, uh, and what are you, what are your, do, do you want to talk more about your assumptions about the kind of parent you think I was because I gave birth at 18 instead of 30? Um, most of the time <laughs> people don't actually want to talk about that. They want to just have a preconceived, not, uh, you know, under idea of that if you give birth at a certain age or in a certain neighborhood or at a certain income level that, um, you're not optimizing your experience. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I have to say being poor gave me the opportunity to be a, at home with my daughter, you know, I, in a way, you know, it meant, yeah. you know, back before, Reaganomics, uh, we had a system that allowed me to spend three years before having to go to work or college. And then it let me go to college, uh, as a young mother. Wow. Which is pretty great when I compare it to what most people are looking at these days. Yeah. Um, but I really have to say how much I love and appreciate you for uh, taking that on in the social media era <laughs> because um, it's pretty lonely out there for a while. I think you know there wasn't there weren't there weren't necessarily ways for moms to have an extended connection the way you've offered this. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And I do think that every era has their challenges so like in our social media era there is so much of people forgetting that there's a person on the other side so those statements that you've heard about teenage moms those are you know echoed far and wide i'm sure online i haven't seen any personally myself but we forget that there's someone else on the other end reading it right mm -hmm. and it's the same with all of this information on parenting and for moms we forget we forget that we, you know, two years postpartum, I don't remember exactly how it was to be a new mom. And I can easily go off and be like, oh, you should be doing this. And like, you're doing it completely wrong. But it, we all need to kind of reconnect and, mm -hmm. and understand that we need to be a little more gentle on everyone else. And I, and part of the reason I feel that we have some of this issue in our culture is because in, our childhood, we didn't have those moments of connection. And so mm -hmm. as adults, we are disconnected. So that's how I, that's why I, I feel the postpartum period. It is like the core of mm. so many things. Um, and so that's just, I mean, it's a very, I don't want to stereotype people, right? It's, but, or put anyone in a box or anything like that. But if you are, you know, if you lack that connection, like psychologically, if you lack the connection when you're a baby, you're going to grow up and be like more disconnected and that leads to just angrier people and a more disconnected world and so how can we solve that it's supporting moms mm -hmm. and enabling them to nurture their kids so that we have more emotionally stable people in this world yeah i use the term resourced you mm -hmm. know um having a sense that they're 
there is a resource underneath us that we can connect into. Um, so I, yeah, I like that feeling of connectedness. And I guess that leads me to a question, which is, do you have any ideas for, for mamas who may not necessarily have the economic or familial resource that you or I might, as Sarah pointed to, um, you know, luxuriate in, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, what would, what would you want to offer, you know, a pregnant woman who might live somewhere where the resources are pretty thin? Yeah. It's, so it's not about things. I mean, you know, you have your, there's so much emphasis on stuff, right? In this capitalist society, there's so much mm. emphasis on like things you need to have. And in reality, the the thing I hear echoed through and through almost every single interview is to be gentle with yourself. So first and foremost is to just chill out a little bit and, and take mm-hmm. care of yourself and not care too much about whether the dishes are clean or the floor is swept. I mean, as I'm speaking right now, my floor is a big mess. I can't have people mm-hmm. over, but it's okay. <laughs> Because I have prioritized other things, right? So that's first and foremost is to take care of yourself and to be gentle with yourself and not to expect other people to do it, um, but to really prioritize it. And, it, you know, we have had fights over the unswept floors or the, you know, the kitchen that's not clean or whatever it may be. But, you know, my husband and I, like, it's it's important that we take care of ourselves and we have our time. So we 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 know that. And so that's first and foremost. Secondly is to really try to be in the moment as possible with your baby. So that's that can be tough if you have a colicky baby or if you have, you know, if you're sleep deprived and they're not sleeping well. But that connection is going to serve you in so many ways. The Especially if you're a working mom, um, finding any opportunity you can to be with your child. Um, like I co-sleep. I think it's a great way of connecting when you're away from them all day. Um, but just find any opportunity and to just be as empathetic with your child as possible because that will really strengthen your relationship and that will serve you like just forever. So as they get older, you know, that relationship that you have, you know, I, I don't fully believe in the terrible twos or the threes or whatever, like, or, Mm -hmm. um, having a terrible teenager, like all that stuff I believe is stemmed from our culture and our upbringing. And so if we, as if we can manage what we can in that fact, (laughs) between those two factors, um, you know, I believe that we can have really great relationships with our kids forever you know there's gonna be some bumps in the road as we're all you know they're all trying to be independent or whatever but tracy castle said in her interview um she said you know if you if you want to you know if, if you look around you know you have a lot of elderly people in nursing homes and they're kind of like abandoned by their kids and so part of it is cultural and whatnot but like maybe some of it is related to the lack of connection that was established in those first years with their Mm -hmm. children and so 
you know, you treat your child how you would like to be treated. If you want your diapers to be changed when you're older, like change their diapers and take care of them. Um, and so I just believe there's so much value and it doesn't take anything from aside from time, which is a resource that a lot of us have very limited amounts of with our children. But with the time that you do have with your children, make it, you know, the best possible and then be gentle with yourself when you get frustrated. And I think between those two, you can really make a difference. Something both of you have touched on is just this idea of expectations, you know, in the, in whether it's like the postpartum period of like, just, you know, having to bounce back. And we've talked about this in other podcast episodes as well, but it's so true. Expectations, like even like the phrase super mom, like if you think of super mom, it's like this woman with a cape and like she could, she's got a job and she's got five kids and she's, and she the does all the cleaning. Spotless. Yeah. It's like, I, and every, and everyone's happy. It's like, that's how, no, yeah. <laughs> I like, so like this idea of super mom is like packed with expectations and, um, and how, and, and that sort of flies in the face of this notion of, uh, of like the first 30 days or the first 40 days where you're just like at home and actually, you know, like none of that super mom kind of stuff applies, of course, unless, th- unless you're using your definition, Lisa, which is a, like every mom who's trying is a super mom, <laughs> right? And like just being um, accepting of oneself as super mom. But, um, but I like what you're saying. And I, I like, um, I, I guess that be gentle with yourself because I think that that speaks to maybe um, questioning those expectations and saying, hmm, something inside of me is telling me, and I don't know why, but I shouldn't be resting. I should be using this 20 minutes while my, I know my baby's going to sleep to clean my house. Mm. But like maybe the be gentle is, you know what? I'm tired. I'm going to use this time to sleep and relax because I, I need to. Mm-hmm. Well, checking, I think a, a strategy for being gentle with yourself that maybe hones it a little more is actually checking inward with yourself, right? Like, okay, I see, I see the messy floor. I see the dishes stacking up. In this very moment, now that the baby's asleep, how do I feel? You know, yeah, am I tired? Question. Yeah. Am I tired? Uh, if I lay down, would I be able to at least read my novel for 15 minutes and relax and just breathe into my body and take a moment to be restorative rather than get something done, you know? And then once I've rested a little bit, can I lie here and think about, you know, is it true taking a page out of, you know, Byron Katie, is it true that there's no one to come over to do these dishes, that there's no one to come over and have a little social visit, but while we're doing it, sweep this floor and clean that bathroom together. Um, you know, when my energy's up for that. So, you know, I don't think that I, I, I love, I really want, always want to reinforce the idea of what they call strategic abandonment, right? You make your to-do list and then you look at it and go, how many of these things can I just abandon for the time <laughs> being? So that 
whatever's left over is actually a rich experience and nourishing rather than depleting. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I, I really do love that, actually, because you have so many to-dos on your list. And even as a postpartum mom, you know, host your family members, you know, mm-hmm. make sure that everything's done around the house. So when they come over, it's clean. And, you know, obviously you're taking care of the baby, but then you're taking care of your husband. And then, you know, who knows when you're returning back to work and maybe you're an- even answering emails between that mm-hmm. time. And, <laughs> you know, what, yeah, what can you strip away so that you really have this like really rich experience and mm-hmm. what can you add in that can, um, can add to it. And, you know, when you were talking, I remember how you shared during your, one of your postpartum periods, um, you and your friend kind of did an exchange. So like you took care of her when she was postpartum and then she took Mm -hmm. care of you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just such a fantastic way of approaching it because on so many levels, you know, you get the support of somebody, right? For sure. Who's, who knows what you're going through or who can be very empathetic of you. And if, and they won't judge you for wanting to just sleep if they're over and they're cleaning. <laughs> mm-hmm. But also it helps you create that network that is so valuable for you as you continue on into motherhood beyond that postpartum period. Mm-hmm. And you have someone there who will support you, not just to clean your dishes when you're, you know, three weeks after, but when your kids are three years old and you need some help. And that will foster, you know, more community, which I think is so important. I think it's really lacking for moms because of how time crunched we are, how stressed out we are. And we just don't feel like it's a priority on our to-do list to make those connections. But, you know, having that kind of that strategic addition to your to-do list of, of having a friend over who can take care of you, I mean, I think that serves us in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And potentially serves the friend, right? I mean, I think we all, most of us aren't going to be happy in life if we can't do gratifying work, even if it's volunteer, especially when it's volunteer, you know, we want to feel like what we do is meaningful. And when it helps somebody have some ease in life, that's a meaningful endeavor. So, you know, um, I mean, I was raised, you know, there was a long line of parenting that said, don't impose, like teach your kids early and often not to impose. And while I understand the basis for that, it's kind of like Benjamin Franklin's neither a borrower nor a lender be. Um, And there's some real practicality in that, but once again, it, that is not a philosophy that inspires community, (laughs) you know, um, you know, communities built on a kind of trust that I can help you out and you can help me out, um, in a, in the positive sense for the good, you know, of our kids and, um, so we kind of do our, we don't just do ourselves a favor when we reach out for, for support. So true. Yeah. 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 It feels great when, um, you know, someone knocks on the door and says, here's a warm meal. Mm-hmm. And 
I think maybe sometimes being a recipient, you you know actually how much someone appreciates it because then it'll make it easier to open up the door and do that for someone else. Yeah. Because you, you know that they like, they're tired and maybe they don't even say thank you because they're just exhausted. They're like, oh, great, <laughs> wonderful. And I'll see you later or something, you know, it's just like, you know how much they love it and need that. And it's, mm-hmm. it's really great. It's yeah. really good. Um, and I love your examples too. Like, uh, thanks for bringing that up. Because like, so say you're someone who doesn't have resources to like pay for someone to come and provide that support. Um, and maybe you don't have as much time off as you wanted um, in your postpartum period, but you want to make the most of it. So you're being gentle with yourself and you're you're kind of questioning some of those expectations and you're, you know, focusing on connecting with the baby. Um, but yeah, like working ahead of time, like I'm thinking like, how would I do this again in the absence of like, um, <laughs> my postpartum doula? <laughs> no, maybe I would reach out to my neighbors and let them know, like, mm-hmm. I don't have a mom I can call and say, take the month of May off, but that's awesome. <laughs> but I could probably do something like that with all of my friends who I think are a little bit nurturing if, you know, um, and maybe my neighbors as well. Um, someone on a previous, uh, episode was talking about like, ask a friend, like assign a friend to do a meal wheel for you. Cause it's hard to do it yourself. Like it's that mm-hmm. imposing thing. I think it's like a, this like societal awkwardness, but if someone else says, Oh, Hey, like, can we get everyone to sign up on this thing? for our friend who's about to have a baby, like most people will do it. Like they won't think twice about like bringing a meal once, but like a meal wheel is a great thing to do. Contacting a local, um, yeah, a local Facebook moms group or maybe a church. I don't know. Like there's tons of community stuff maybe Mm -hmm. to tap into and just say, Hey, this is a month when I'm going to need help. Mm -hmm. Right. Or like a friend. That's such a neat idea is like do a swap. Right. And the other thing is that often, you know, the end of pregnancy to-do list is overwhelming. (laughs) And so letting other people do things on your to-do list in preparation to receive the gifts of postpartum, so to speak, is a good way to practice Mm -hmm. too, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to spend you know, eight hours, a potentially indefinite amount of time figuring out how my friends are going to feed me. I'm going to let somebody else figure that out, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and hope that I get fed and you will get fed. Um, yeah. So. Lisa, did your mom, when she was looking after you, did she leave things in your freezer? Like you mentioned bone broth. Yeah. She left a bunch of, I like, I'll have some like pickled eggs at my fridge <laughs> that I haven't Yum. cleaned out in two years. Oh but, my gosh. Um, but she, yeah, Would they like, still be good? Yeah, they're still good. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Oh. I should probably break them out at some point. But yeah, she um she did leave some birthdays. Not so much food, but uh not so much rather um like food, but like soups. She mm-hmm. every time she comes, like even now, she makes a ton of soup for me. Because we're in mm-hmm. Cantonese uh, culture were in like southern China or really big into soups so mm-hmm. I grew up like just drinking bone broth all the time so like we had a there was a bunch of that and then like she you know would prep all the the chicken and the pork bones for me for next time to make them and then we had some of like the special like pickled egg stuff and mm-hmm. that was really it she didn't you know the food um you know she's really into like fresh food so we don't I never really grew up with like, eating frozen foods but I think it's a really good option 
as well if you can get people you know to kind of even beforehand i know that a lot of the a couple of the speakers you know they recommended you know prepping beforehand even just yourself like if you make food just make extra when you're pregnant just throw it in the freezer and you'll have more food for you <laughs> um mm-hmm. but not so much on my end we were kind of not and also my husband's like really picky and doesn't really eat leftovers so we don't eat so much frozen food <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah there's a a book actually called like literally the first 40 days that I'm, I've become a big fan of. And mm-hmm. they talk about some of that, about like um, maybe preparing for postpartum in the kitchen a little bit by like having certain kinds of things in your cupboards. And um, they, cause they, you said bone broth in that. It was like one of the things they had mentioned too, is like, actually yeah. you can make a big batch and put it, put just the broth itself in like little containers in the freezer because it's an easy base. You can either have it by itself mm-hmm. or you can turn it into a soup or yep. like do numerous things with it. And it's very like warming and healthy. And I'm sure it's possible to make a vegetarian option mm-hmm. of like really good um, mm-hmm. broth that's packed with protein. I mean, it doesn't have to be <laughs> animals, but like, right. I, I really like that idea. And um Yeah. Like nurturing, you know, it helps nurture yourself. Like even if you're, if if even if no one's making you dinner, like it's like, oh well, my past self made my dinner for me. <laughs> That's kind of nice. Yeah. That's kind of nice. Yeah. It, have there been things, Lisa, that you? I mean, you're an experienced mom now. Like, have, like listening to all of your roster of speakers, are there things that like some any people have said that like kind of surprised you, or you just thought, oh yeah, that right on. I haven't thought of it that way. Yeah, there's things that I just that haven't directly impacted me. So there's a lot of stuff that I learned around postpartum mood disorders, how there's Mm. six different kinds, how one in seven women, possibly one in five women have some sort of postpartum mood disorder, um, clinical or just otherwise. Well, actually, otherwise, a lot of people just say every mom does. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but there's that. And then, you know, we I had um, Katie Ward. She spoke about circumcision, and I had a girl, so I never really thought about that. So I learned a lot through her session. Um, and then a lot of, uh, you know, birth trauma and just trauma mm-hmm. in general. And I'm very lucky that that wasn't something I experienced, but I learned so much about that too. And one of the speakers, Tony Madrid, he, it was by far the most fascinating session in the summit. And he is a clinical psychologist out in California. And he's doing this. He, he found a connection between trauma of the mom in when the baby is in utero or at birth. And connect and that being connected to a development of asthma in the child. And so fascinating. Yes. So basically, he was treating a a client uh, for different issues, but she also had asthma. And then her mom shared the story about how, you know, I think they were separated at right after she gave birth, and then she came back and saw the baby and was like, "I'm not really sure if this is my baby," um, and just really did not have this connection with this baby. And so he said, you know, let's just do a little work and work on your birth trauma. And he did a little hypnotherapy. Uh, maybe it was like, you know, 15, 20 minutes. I mean, the woman's daughter was outside waiting, I think. So he just worked on her really briefly and then really thought nothing of it. And then the woman came back, 
you know, with her child maybe a couple weeks later and said, like, oh, you know, um, this is what's going on with her. And she, oh, yeah. And you know what? Her asthma's gone. And also, you know, you're after that, you know, a couple of days after that session with you, I miss my daughter for the first time. And, wow. you know, I've shared the story to a lot of people because I find it so fascinating. But so many people are like, how do you not miss your child? I mean, that that's like unfathomable to them. But like, imagine being this mom who has such a disconnection with their child through trauma that they don't they don't even feel that way which is just mind-blowing to me and so when i heard this story i just just like i need to i need to talk to him and i need (laughs) i need to feature him because the it just shows how important it is for us to take care of moms um because there's so many repercussions that we are just scratching the surface on and he made this connection and i believe that a thousand other things can be related to trauma and traumatic experience and emotional, you know, it could be something like even just losing your job um, or your husband losing your job and just being like really preoccupied emotionally and mentally with something else aside from your child and not developing that connection with them uh, or the death of a family member. So, you know, you're taking care of other things and you don't have that time to really bond with your baby when they're in utero or, um, and so yeah, I think it's, that was just the the most amazing thing because I'm a huge believer in the experience that we, our children have in utero completely shapes them as people. I mean, you know, they it's a it's a bunch of different things that shape them, right? But I believe that there's a lot of like core aspects of our children that are shaped by how we are in utero. And I learned this. I kind of like made a connection of this when I was taking my health coaching program and it was one of the last weekends I was at the program and I was working with a partner and they were like, you know, let's talk about our, you know, our kind of like where, where we came from and all of that. And like, let's talk about like your mom's pregnancy with you. And I really, I only knew a couple of things about it, but you know, I thought about my mom's pregnancy with me when she was working like in a factory and she was in the U S and my, her pregnancy with my brother who was in China and she was kind of like, you know, on a farm. It wasn't like, you know, like in a factory. And I just thought of my personality versus my brother's personality. <laughs> and it was this drastic difference of he's just super mellow and easygoing and just like the nicest person. And I'm like type A and just like, I really need to get things going and done and like in order and aligned and just go for it. And, and so that really just has made me think a lot about it. And there's other things too, uh, wrapped up in that, but I do believe that. And so when I heard Tony Madrid's story, um, one of the other speakers, she introduced me to him and I just said, I need this out there. People need to know that scientifically this connection has been made. Like 80, he did a research study in at NYU where 80% of asthma cases were resolved through his very, very simple like hypnotherapy sessions. I'll comment on it, Lisa, in this way. Um, early on uh, in my career as a postpartum doula, I was working with moms who both, uh, who often would have had um, loss during previous pregnancies um, and or would be, knew that they would be going back to work uh, six weeks postpartum, as an example, right? So they Mm -hmm. knew that they would be leaving their babies soon. And 
what I saw again and again were moms who not weren't necessarily expressing it, although many did, but one way or the other were expressing difficulty really holding this baby, really taking this baby who'd made it through the pregnancy, been born to them, was in their arms. Um, and moms would say, you know, I just, I can't believe that I have this baby. I can't believe it. Um, and not just, oh my gosh, this is so great. You know, it was, I'm not, I'm not connecting up with this as a reality in my life. Mm. And, um, and so in some cases, what I, because I knew their story, I could say to them, I, we could have a discussion about, are you afraid? Like, is, is fear blocking your relationship to this child? Are you afraid that you're going to lose this child? You know, um, and often the answer was, yeah, you know, I lost three other babies before they were ever in my arms. And so it doesn't make sense, which is sort of strange to say, but it doesn't make sense that now I actually do have a real live baby in my arms and in my life. Like, I, you know, something in me isn't getting past that loss and the grief, right? They're anticipating grieving yet again um, their child. And so that's very complex. You know, it takes a real intervention to kind of come through that and really connect up. But then there was the an- anticipatory grief that was blocking connection, which was, well, I, I have you in my arms now and I'm going to, I'm going to have to leave you. Right. Yeah. Where I'm going to leave you. I'm going to lose you to all those hours that I have to be at work. And so, <laughs> you know, in anticipation of that, they were, they were grieving. They might not be grieving out loud, but it was weighing heavily on them. And so, you know, this is a phenomenon and it's not one that we talk about much, but I see it. I see it often. I see it in, I see it in partners, you know, who are going back to work. It's like, I can't get too involved in this because I'm going to have to leave and it's going to hurt too much. Right. Mm -hmm. I, this is not verbalized, but this is the reality for people. Um, Esther, so so I, I hadn't even heard of this, but like recently at one of my family members, they kind of came up to me and said, you know, I think my, my daughter is like not she's like in, this has is in this like anticipatory grief mm-hmm. period and so she's not connecting as much to her daughter and she she could tell as the grandmother mm-hmm. but in your experience do the moms or the partners realize that or are they no. or can you tell as a third party i think i pick up on it and and it's not always something that i'm going to be allowed to have a deep discussion with just so just to say it outright, like, but, but often I can, if, if I, if I don't have the opportunity to sit with families and just say, how are you doing? And what's it feel like right now, knowing that you're going to be heading back to work and, you know, just, just have a conversation at the feelings level. 
and maybe then revisit it once they have gone back to work. Like to me, that's the process that a postpartum doula might, if she's lucky, engage the family with so that it comes to the surface and something they're talking about. Uh, because it's so relieving to be able to come home from work and say, I missed you guys all day today, you know, instead of like, okay, I can't have feelings about going back to work and missing my family, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, I missed you and, and I'm so happy I'm home and I'm going to really be glad to really enfold you and, and experience you for the hours that I am at home, say, um, uh, you know, instead of say, okay, I'm home, but I'm not going to engage because then I just have to disengage again. And that just hurts too much, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I mean, that's kind of a lightweight example, but you get my drift. Yeah. Um, and I'm not allowed into these, con you know, I may brook these conversations on occasion, but I'm not always allowed in. And that's just how it is, you know, and it's yeah. okay with me, but, um, sad sometimes yeah <laughs> well um on a final note then <laughs> maybe we can make it a slightly happier note yes. um more about this and many many other hugely insightful topics all available at the fourth trimester summit.com and um, lisa they're available for free now so people join now but they're but i mean they'll be available forever <laughs> on that site is that correct they are available for a limited time um, until the basically the 20th of November. And then they are available if you upgrade into the Supermom bundle, which has is um, are all the audio recordings of the video sessions um, or all the sorry, the video sessions and then audio versions of the video sessions and then some bonuses from the speakers. Um, I do plan on making, you know, a, a couple of them kind of available for those who sign up for the email list. Um, mm -hmm. That probably won't take into effect until maybe December or January when I have time to kind of digest everything and figure out which videos I want to make available. But the, yeah, the information is there. Um, you know, there's, we have the fourth trimester super moms group on Facebook. So if there were certain topics that were interesting, you could kind of see the insight from people there. Um, if you had any questions, you're welcome to email me at lisa at lisaforreal.com. And, you know, if there was certain, certain speakers that you were interested in, um, you can certainly figure out if I can, I don't know, grant access or figure out, I don't, I'm not really sure what my post summit strategy is at this point, but <laughs> if there are specific questions, um, you know, you can certainly just contact me and we can figure something out. Um, or I can direct you to even just the speaker's websites or, articles that um, have been helpful. So I'm happy to help out in any way I can. Well, fantastic. I'm sure there are many, many new parents and families out there benefiting. And um, we wish you well in the rest of the summit and beyond. And thank you so much again for being a guest on our show. Yay. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you can subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone. And I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband Ben, daughter Penelope, and baby girl Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now. Hello again, bicycle man. I know
know you're doing all that you can. I wrote the song, simple and true. I wrote the song, I'll sing a song for you. Your gears, you ride around town without any fear. You got your pedals, you got your brakes, you always wear your helmet for safety's sake. Song, I sing a song for you. 